You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. Thank you this morning. We're going to be uh, looking at a bonus spiritual discipline for those who have been here the last few months or so. You'll know I've been working through various spiritual disciplines and uh, and it sounds like we've still got a bit of feedback or something, have we? Keep going. Give me a wave if I have to switch over. We'll see how we go. number of spiritual disciplines such as prayer, reading the word, uh, fellowship, um, meditation, fasting. There's a, there were seven, seven of them we went through. Last week did a bonus of uh, studying the Bible so you can get your teeth into it. And this week is another bonus on how to hear a sermon. And I don't think I've heard anyone tell me how to hear a sermon before. You're doing a sermon on how to hear a sermon. A sermon on how to hear a sermon. Now, I've been preaching on and off for quite a few years, so I've read a lot of books about preaching and how to prepare and deliver a sermon and various other things. Whether they're effective or not is up for you to decide. But um, And there's literally thousands of books on how to preach a sermon. Until recently, I'd never come across a book on how to listen to a sermon, how to hear a sermon. And... Uh, a few months ago, as I thought I might do this bonus on how to hear a sermon, I actually stumbled across a book shortly after that on that exact subject. Um, have you ever thought even for a moment that how you hear a sermon could be a matter of life and death? You might think I'm exaggerating when I say that how you hear a sermon could be a matter of life and eternal death. But I assure you, I'm not exaggerating. There's a couple of passages in Scripture I want to go to this morning to show you where I get that. They're not the only ones, but they are the two primary ones I want to look at. But uh, firstly, I want to ask the question, how are we saved from eternal damnation? It's not, as you know, by our good behaviour. It's not by being better than the next person. It's not by working hard or helping other people or charitable acts. It's not even by offering many sacrifices to God. We're saved by the grace of God that's applied to us through faith. But what's the catalyst for that faith? What's the thing that actually triggers that faith? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, starting at verse 8, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes Sorry, I've lost my place. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. To be saved, we must firstly believe 
that God raised Christ from the dead. It says that if you confess it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So the first thing we have to believe is that Christ was raised from the dead. That's absolutely foundational to saving faith. And we also have to confess with our mouth any belief that doesn't reveal itself in some form of proclamation of our faith is a belief that we have to question is whether it's genuine or not. It may not be a, a faith that can save. How are we going, guys? Good. Paul goes on to tell us in that same passage how important it is for believers to tell other people about Christ. From verse 12, he says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Paul tells us here just how important it is that we get the message of Christ out to other people. For our topic today though, the next sentence is all important. It says, how are they to hear without someone preaching? How will the unbeliever hear without someone preaching? Preaching the word of God is the primary means that God employs today to bring about faith in people. But that means, of course, that we have to send people out to preach the good news. Continuing on in Romans chapter 10, verse 15. How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This verse is one of the reasons why missions and church planting is so desperately important today. How are they to preach unless someone is sent? You might get asked, as Harley and some others do, to preach here on a Sunday morning, but mostly you're preaching to the choir when you, when you preach from here. Most of the people that come here are already Christians. They're people that have already heard the gospel. To be sent means going to people who haven't yet heard the gospel. It means going somewhere else. All good? Don't think it's good. Do you want me to go handheld? Okay. Okay, sorry about that. We'll get this going shortly. Here we go. Sorry about that, folks. We've uh, just got a new uh, lapel mic and we're trying to figure out the intricacies of it. We'll get there eventually. So, where were we? For the most part, if you're preaching here, you're preaching to the choir, to people who are already saved. To be sent means you have to go somewhere else. Take the message of Christ to someone who hasn't heard it before. When I say 
that someone must be sent to those who haven't heard the gospel, I don't only mean those lost tribes in darkest New Guinea that have never had any contact with other people, with outsiders, because there's millions of people here in Australia that have never heard the gospel. And again, I don't just mean maybe the Muslims and Buddhists that have come to our country in recent years and never been exposed to the gospel. There's millions of Australians as well as other immigrants to this country who have never heard the gospel. They may be surrounded by churches. They may have Christian friends who have tried to witness to them. They may even have been a member of a church for a while. But have they heard the gospel? In a little while I'll get to my other main passage in which Jesus warns that some people are seeing but they do not see and hearing but they do not hear nor do they understand. Just because someone has heard the gospel doesn't mean that they have heard the gospel. I think you know what I mean. We'll look at that a bit more in a minute. Paul goes on in Romans chapter 10 and verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Some of you are aware that this last verse that says faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ uses a fairly uncommon Greek word that we translate as word. Most times in the New Testament, when you see an English word word, it's the Greek word logos, or logos is probably pronounced. Um, but in this particular verse, it's the Greek word rhema. And rhema is not the written word, it's the spoken word. The word of God as delivered by a preacher or by an evangelist or by a person sharing their faith with another. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the rhema, the spoken word of Christ. That's not to say, of course, that God can't or won't use other means to bring about salvation. He often does. There's credible reports, I'm sure you've all heard, of people being saved in hardline Muslim nations where there's no Bible available and there's no Christians in their community. They've been saved by Christ appearing to them in a dream. God can and will use whatever means he wants to to bring salvation to people. But the primary means he uses is the preached word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Under normal circumstances, there's no salvation without the preaching of the word of God. It brings about faith. It builds up faith. Hence the reason why we gather weekly to hear the word preached. And it maintains faith to the end. It's why the Lord spoke to Paul in the vision when he was in Corinth in Acts chapter 18. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. and Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. It's also one of the reasons why we don't give our Sunday service over entirely to singing praises and worship to God. Singing is an extremely important part of what we do 
when we get together, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I've talked about that a number of times in recent weeks. But singing is not the God-ordained means to grow in faith. Preaching is. Preaching is. So having laid the foundation of the importance of preaching in salvation and in the life of a believer and in the life of the church, let's move on to what I promised to tell you all about, how to hear a sermon. You're all familiar, of course, with the parable of the soils. That parable contains both warnings and encouragements to us. It's the main text I want to look at this morning. And um, it, it, uh, it's in three of the four Gospels in the New Testament. That immediately gives us a clue to how important this passage is. Every time you see something repeated, and especially repeated three times in the Bible, you need to sit up and take notice. God's trying to get your attention. I mentioned last week when we talked about some of the tools for Bible study that one of them was called a harmony of the Gospels. It's the four Gospels uh, put together as one long narrative story. So they mix the, uh, the different verses in at the appropriate places. So since this passage is in, is in three of the Gospels and each has a slightly different perspective, I've decided to do the hard work for you this morning and produce a harmony of the Gospels from this passage, the parable of the soils. So we'll start by reading through the whole passage. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away, because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And he said to them, 
Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them, so that they may not believe and be saved. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution rises on account of the word, and in time of testing, fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Did you notice that last verse? Take care how you hear, for to the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. This is why I say that how you hear a sermon can be a matter of life and death. Let's look a little more closely at some of the soils in this parable. There's four types of soil that the sower scatters his seed on. Each soil corresponds to an attitude of our hearts. Only one type is productive though. Firstly, there was the path. Jesus said that this was people who hear, but then Satan snatches the seed away before it can take root. The path is that soil that's been trodden down, compacted, hard. We might equate that to a hard, cynical heart. Don't waste my time. I've heard it all before. It's a response many Western unbelievers will give to the preaching of the gospel. There's a related response. I've tried that and it doesn't work. You might hear that from people who have once believed a false gospel, a prosperity gospel or something like that and found it to be empty and hollow. Sadly, the result is that many become inoculated against the true gospel. For those of us who are committed followers of Christ, we need to be careful about how we respond to the preached word on a Sunday morning. It's too easy for us to become judgmental. And while we might not say it out loud, internally we're thinking, boring, tell me something I don't already know. Got a personal story that might illustrate this danger. The Lord was gracious to convict me on this very point many years ago in the early days of my Christian life, and it's stuck with me ever since. 
um, I visited my sister's church one Sunday evening. The sermon didn't impress me much. It's fair to say probably that I endured the sermon rather than enjoyed it. It was boring. It was a waste of my time. It was a waste of the time of everyone else who was there. And at the end of this dull sermon, the preacher had the audacity to ask who wanted to commit their life to Christ in response. I probably don't need to tell you the result. Twelve people went forward for salvation. Needless to say, I got the message. I don't care how many times you've heard the gospel, you never outgrow your need for it. You never outgrow your need for the gospel. And you should never set yourself up as judge and jury of the message preached. The moment you do that, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown so that you may not believe and be saved. That's a terrifying prospect. And harsh words, that's what Jesus said, not me. Now I know some messages are better than others. Some preachers are more skilled or experienced than others. Some topics are more interesting than others. But every word of God is powerful. And every word of God will achieve his purposes for it. The Bible says in Jeremiah 23 that the word of God is like a hammer and it breaks hard rocks into pieces. That's a warning for us about how we receive the word and about the potential to be crushed by God. But for those who set themselves to proclaim the word, to preach the gospel, to share it with others, it should also be an encouragement because God's word can crush hard opposition too. Don't slip into the trap of hardening your heart to the message that's being preached, thinking to yourself, I've heard all this before. Don't be tempted to chase after the latest fascinating new ideas, the stuff that goes around Christian circles on a regular basis, whether it's end times or miraculous or whatever it may be. There's always something new to chase after. Paul warned Timothy, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. God hasn't designed the preaching of the word to be entertainment for us. If you want entertainment, there's a lot more entertaining places to go than the church. This isn't the Lion King movie. This isn't a Fleetwood Mac concert. This isn't even a fast food restaurant where you come in and get your bellies filled for next to nothing and walk out burping until the next time you decide to wander in. We can't afford to come to church on a Sunday morning with a consumer mentality. This is serious business. This is life-saving, eternal business we're doing here this morning. Sadly, many people won't be interested. Paul made it plain that the word properly preached will be foolishness to most hearers. In 1 Corinthians 1 he said, For Christ did not send me to baptise but to preach the gospel 
and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. God has designed the preaching of his word to be powerful for those who are called, for those who are being saved. In fact, I might go so far as to say that how you respond to the preaching of the word may reveal the state of your heart and the state of your salvation. Is it folly to you? Like it was to me that night I went and heard that preacher that bored me? Or is it the power and wisdom of God to you? Let me say as emphatically as I can, you need nothing more than what is contained in this book. Nothing. Nothing more than what is contained in this book. Anything else is not only unnecessary, it is potentially unreliable, deceptive, untrue, and leads you on a path that could end in your eternal destruction. You need nothing else than what's contained in this book. The next soil is the rocky soil. It's thin soil, soil that's not deep enough to put down proper roots. Jesus said that these are people who receive the message enthusiastically, joyfully, but it doesn't seem to last. Again, I've experienced that. As a teenager, I was on a youth camp and at the end of the youth camp, they had a call for salvation. And, uh, and it was a powerful moment, I've got to say. I remember sitting there with my head down thinking, nope, not me, my mates are sitting around here and they'll be watching. I'm not going to put my hand up. But my hand went up anyway. I couldn't control it. It went up anyway. And uh, they called us out the back into a room and, and there were, I think, three or four other people out there. There was, uh, I think most of them were girls out there and they were sobbing their eyes out. They were heartbroken. My response was to want to burst out laughing with joy. Not laughing at them, but laughing with joy. I actually felt a bit self-conscious about the fact that I felt like laughing when they were all crying. So for the next couple of months, I went to church every time the doors were open. I door knocked to tell people about Christ. I read the Bible that I bought straight away. But eventually, the opposition at school and family and everywhere else wore me down and I fell away. I spent the next 15 years running as far away from God as I could get. I had an emotional response, but I had no depth. I've thought a number of times about that lack of depth, what it actually was, in my case at least, um, and I will share that with you one day. I think I know what it was for me. It may not be the same for you, but, um, but I received the message joyfully but had no root, and it withered and shriveled up and died. And it was another 15 plus years before God got my attention through some tough situations, as he tends to do, and uh, turned me around. So thirdly, there's a thorny ground. 
The seed is choked out by worries, stress, distractions, desires for other things. We don't find our greatest treasure and our greatest pleasure in Christ. There's always something else that either interests us or distracts us. We seek the treasures and the pleasures of this world instead of Christ. But the treasures and the pleasures of this world will never satisfy. And finally, there was the good soil, the only one that's productive. It's soil that's been prepared to receive the seed. It's fertile, it's deep, it's rich, it's already full of nutrients. This is the soil that hears the word and holds it fast, Jesus said, not letting it slip out of the heart. And it doesn't turn back on the word when things don't seem to work out as quickly or as well as we'd hope, when things don't go as expected. Instead, it bears fruit with patience. Can you see from this parable why I say that how we hear a sermon is a matter of life and death. The responsibility for the effectiveness of the sermon is not on the preacher. It's not on me. It's not on the person standing up the front. Shock, horror. The primary responsibility for the effectiveness of the sermon is on those of us who listen to it. That means, this morning, you folk. The responsibility for the effectiveness of this sermon this morning is on you. That's challenging. We each determine whether this sermon or any sermon we hear will bear fruit in our lives for salvation, for building up our faith, for sanctification. The preacher's job is to deliver the word of God to you as faithfully as he can. Your job is to make sure it falls on fertile soil and takes root. So how do we make sure our soil is fertile and ready to receive the word? I mentioned at the start the book I came across recently about how to hear a sermon. For those interested, it's called Listen Up, A Practical Guide to Listening to Sermons by Christopher Ash. It's only a short book. It's 31 very easy pages to read, but it's pretty powerful. In fact, I think it's so important that I've taken the liberty of ordering a copy for each one of you that should be here in the next week or so. He makes a comment in his introduction that listening to sermons is a risky business. It can damage your health or it can take you closer to final rescue. What it won't do is leave you unchanged. What it won't do is leave you unchanged. That's precisely what I've been trying to get across to you this morning and precisely what Jesus told us in the parable, take care how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. That book has some very practical steps to help us prepare our soil. The author's done a better job than I ever could hope to do, so I'll briefly run through some of his points for you. Um, I won't go into too much detail. You'll have to wait until I deliver the book to you for that. But firstly, he says, expect God to speak. God speaks through his word. 
Peter says in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, you were born again through the living and abiding word of God that was preached to you. That tells me that God's word is powerful when it's preached. You can bring about new birth. There's not much more powerful than what can bring about new birth. So he says, if you know what next week's passage will be, read it at home during the week. Well, at the moment, we don't know that, but in uh, three or four weeks' time, we'll be getting back into John's Gospel, so you'll know in advance exactly what each passage will be. They'll give you an opportunity to read it and prepare yourself during the week. Then he says, pray for the preacher as he prepares. I can tell you, we preachers need all the prayer we can get. Pray that God will speak to you as the word is preached. Quiet your mind and your heart before the sermon. Get yourself in a place to receive. And one I've thrown in as a bonus, turn off your Facebook notifications. Secondly, he says, admit that God knows better than you. Faithful preaching of the word can be painful to receive. Comfortable preaching doesn't hurt. It makes me feel good about myself. But health-giving preaching hurts. Don't reject it just because it puts a finger on some tender spot in your heart. Ask yourself which parts of the preached message challenge your beliefs or your lifestyle. Pray for the Holy Spirit to work into you what the Bible clearly tells you. Thirdly, he says, check the preacher says what the passage says. Be like the Bereans who receive the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Don't accept it just because the preacher says so. Check it out for yourself. This point's a challenge for those of us who preach. What I'm doing is inviting you to critique my study and my interpretation of the scripture and the same for whoever else preaches here on a Sunday. But that should make us as preachers more diligent, more accountable and more faithful in our preaching. So Christopher Ash says in the book, read or listen carefully when a passage is read. Think about the main point of the passage and ask who the passage was written to originally and whether the situation applies to us today. Then he goes on to say, his next point, hear the sermon in church, week by week. In church, week by week. Hearing the word of God is a team spot. When we were looking at worship, I think it was the spiritual discipline of worship, I told you that worship is a team sport. It's why I like to have the lights up and the, and the volume levels down so that we can speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to see and hear and be encouraged by each other. Hearing the word of God is a team sport. It's not meant to be done in isolation. It's not an individual pursuit. Hearing a sermon should be done primarily in the local church gathered together with other believers. God means not just to create Christ-like individuals. He intends to create Christ-like people, a group. And if we're not here to hear the sermon on a Sunday morning, we can't challenge each other. We can't keep each other accountable. We can't 
grow in Christ-likeness when we're separated from each other. So the author of the book says, take note of how regularly you attend and the reasons or the excuses you use when you stay away. And he also suggests, talk to others about the sermon afterwards, about how to respond personally and how it should shape not just you, but our church. He goes on to say, do what the Bible says. It's about as simple as it gets. Do what the Bible says. You'll know what James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The word of God requires and demands a response from us. Even if the preacher hasn't given you any specific pointers to take home and practice during the week, think about how to respond anyway. Write down some action you need to take to obey the particular Bible passage. Is it a change of attitude? Is it something you need to start doing or stop doing? And follow up with yourself a week or a month later to see what progress you've made. And pray for God to work obedience in you to his word. Then he says, do what the Bible says today and rejoice. To hear a sermon and not respond is worse than not hearing it at all. Charles Simeon said that every sermon increases either our salvation or our condemnation. That's life or death stuff. You can't take this casually. In actual fact, the reality is, if you're not prepared to listen and hear a sermon and respond properly, you probably better be safer not coming to church at all. In that regard, because it will either increase your salvation or your condemnation. But of course, if you're not in church, how will you hear the words of life? Responding to the word of God in obedience brings freedom. It brings a clear conscience. It brings a confidence in God and a boldness before God. That's reason to rejoice. So ask yourself how the passage reveals the things you need to change. Pray for grace to repent and change and celebrate that preaching is God's regular, gracious invitation to walk with him. Christopher Ash concludes his book with several pages about how to listen to dull sermons, biblically inadequate sermons and heretical sermons. He also has a section on how to get better sermons and suggestions on how to encourage good preaching. So you can imagine why I hope you'll all read it when I get it for you. Jesus said nothing in the parable of the soils about how careful the sower was to sow the seed. Did you notice that? He scattered the seed. It's almost like he walked out and just threw the seed anywhere at random. He scattered it. But the type of soil it fell on made all the difference in the world. Each of us is responsible for the state of our soil. What's your soil like this morning? What's your soil been like in previous weeks when you've come to church? What will your soil be like next week? 
If your soil is good, you'll receive more and you'll bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. Jesus promises it. But the responsibility is on you this week to make sure you cultivate that soil in readiness for the word of God to be planted in it next week. But warning, if your soil is not good, even what you think that you have will be taken away. Let's close in prayer. Father, we so desperately want the soil of our hearts to be good, healthy, fertile and productive soil. Help us, Lord, to prepare our soil this week and every week to receive your word as it's preached. And grant us your grace by your Holy Spirit to be diligent in applying your word to our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. If your soil has been hard, rocky, thorny in the past, if you've never received that seed of the word of God that springs up into a uh, fruitful plant, you have an opportunity this morning to respond, to just say to God, I want that soil, my soil, to be good soil. I want Jesus Christ to make that change in me from hard soil to soft soil. And I come to you, Father, in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, to put my trust in him as my Lord and my Saviour. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.